Welcome to the Half Court Press Podcast. He's Joel Lorenzi. I'm Dirk Chatlin. Welcome back for a post-Christmas uh, summary of Nebraska and Creighton basketball. Uh, lots to talk about, some of which is going to be more pressing than other things. Uh, Creighton had a had a nice little recovery the last couple days, couple weeks uh, from from their six-game losing streak. Uh, the the Creighton women lost last night quite badly to, to UConn. Yeah. Not a performance that uh, that satisfied uh, the coaching staff, I know that. Uh, and uh, down in Lincoln, Nebraska women took took one on the chin last night. The, the Husker men play tonight against Iowa. And that's where we're going to start. It's a 6 p.m. game. Uh, the, uh, the, the pot will, will not have many hours of, of livelihood before that, that game tips off. But I do want to start with, with probably the biggest event um, on the Nebraska, you know, certainly the, the 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 late December schedule, and that is Iowa's annual trip to Lincoln. Uh, sellout crowd tonight at Pinnacle Bank Arena. The uh, the atmosphere should be festive, if not raucous. Probably depends on how many tantrums Fran McCaffrey throws. Uh, this is a game that Nebraska fans really get up for, Joel, and it's a game that, uh, frankly. Nebraska has had a hard time against Iowa in in recent meetings. Um, ever since about let's see, what was it? January 2020, when uh, when Fred Hoiberg upset Fran McCaffrey and Luca, Luca Garza, uh, and and proceeded to lose every game the rest of that season. The Huskers have had a hard time since Iowa against Iowa since then. Last year. Iowa came into Lincoln and and beat Nebraska 88 to 78. That was the game right after Trev Alberts announced that Fred Hoiberg would return for this season. Uh, Fred used to sort of own McCaffrey, and and lately the tables have turned. So it's going to be a, a really good environment. Iowa's got a nice team coming off a bizarre loss to Eastern Illinois as a 31 point favorite a week ago. One of the biggest uh, upsets I think in in college basketball history from a from an odds maker standpoint and uh and the huskers are a little bit of a could go either way right now they they looked okay against queen's university last week but they were uh they were sort of running on fumes against k-state before that this is a game that i think nebraska from a fan base perspective really needs and uh i think you're going to see a an extremely active nebraska defense tonight uh, they're gonna they're gonna get after Iowa, and uh, and see if if Chris Murray can uh, and Patrick McCaffrey can can have enough skill level to to lead Iowa to a victory. I, I anticipate a very close game. Joel, as someone new to to this state, this is one that that people here really get excited about. And I think uh, if Nebraska can beat Iowa and Creighton in the same month, despite some of the other setbacks uh that would be a pretty pretty successful month of december for for fred hoiberg sure and like you said i think the fan base needs it um i think the last time we talked they had just like went overtime with purdue after i think it was a game after without grizzle they relatively competed with iu probably uh i think fans were encouraged about their chances if they would have had grizzle so um we, you know, fast forward a couple weeks, um, and since then, you know, they lost pretty handily to, to Kansas State. So a setback there from what I'm sure people felt was some, some forward momentum after they thumped Creighton uh, at CHI. So I think uh, this is a, a necessary win. If this is the year where we're like, okay, Hoiberg deserves time. Like this, I think this is a, 
a win that's up there in terms of significance. It's a great point. It it is a bellwether game. Uh, th- this is a game where if you if you can say that Fred Hoiberg is the man to to trust uh, to lean into, then then this is the type of game that you win. You know, and Nebraska is generally generally pretty good at home uh, in the Big Ten. Uh, at least they used to be when when Miles was 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 rolling along. Uh, Fred has, has struggled more, but but the, these are the types of games. You know, they played well against Purdue at home. Uh, they rolled Boston College at home. I, I expect this team to have more confidence. You know, you usually get a, a pretty good version of, of, you know, Wiltshire and Tominaga at home. Uh, I think Nebraska, you know, this is a type of game where you look at the schedule and you say if you're going to win 15 games, if you're going to get to the brink of the NIT, this is the type of game you got to win. And when you start 0-2 in the Big Ten uh, at Indiana and Purdue at home, you know this is the type of game that you need to, to sort of get back on track in the Big Ten standings. So it's uh, you know you don't get a lot of like just raucous crowds in Lincoln, especially for a program that has struggled the last three four years. But uh, but I, I really think this one will will find people pretty amped up. I mean, Joel, you you've been around long enough now to know that that Iowa uh, Iowa tends to rankle people here, around here, and uh, I think uh, you know we joked about the McCaffrey thing, but but seriously, people will will go to this game tonight and they'll have one eye on Fran McCaffrey just to see if if they can light him up, you know, if they can get him to erupt. So uh, it's it's a really fun game on the Nebraska schedule. Probably not quite as high as the Creighton game, but but certainly number two, I think. Yeah, no doubt. And um, from just a from the game standpoint, I mean, Iowa's been one of the better offenses in the country. Um, they're still a top forty team, and so I'm wondering, you know, do you count on Fred Hoiberg to to get a win like this? Because it, it's still a big win to me, um, even at home. I mean, do you count on him to get too many big wins, including this one? Well, again, you know, when we, when we went through the Nebraska, after that Creighton game and after the Purdue game, you know, you could kind of see a model, right? Like you could kind of see a template for how Nebraska gets to 15 wins. And it was, it was a, a defense that is just relentless. Uh, it was an offense that does just enough with Derek Walker at sort of the point of the attack. Uh, you know, it, it was sort of old school basketball. And they got to get, you know, they got to get some offensive infusion from, from those, from those perimeter guards. You know, if if Tominaga can get can get into double figures and hit some threes, you know, that obviously helps. Uh, but I think I think Nebraska is, you know, the margin for error is so small for this program because of the offensive struggles uh, that if their defense is not on point, you know, they're gonna they're gonna lose. But the good part about being at home, Joel, is that. That defensively, you know, you gain energy from that crowd, and and the crowd at Nebraska so often responds to to energy. You know, it's uh, it, they can sense it sort of in the team. They like a blue collar, rugged team. Uh, this Nebraska defense, at its best, is extremely blue collar and rugged. So I think this is a night where Nebraska could frustrate Iowa. You know, Iowa has a great offense, as you noted, but they they haven't played super well lately. Uh, they blew out Iowa State a month ago. Since then, they haven't had a lot of data points. You know, they lost to Wisconsin. They lost bizarrely to Eastern Illinois a week ago. Uh, this is not an Iowa team that's that's hitting all cylinders right now. So I think if Nebraska can frustrate them defensively, you know, this is a game that, that the Huskers can win. Sure, and it's fair that 
you know, this is the time, I think, to catch Iowa if you're going to catch them. But I do think, um, like, Iowa, from what I've seen, I mean, Chris Murray's a, a hooper, man. And and, and he uh, didn't play against Eastern Illinois a week ago, and that's yeah, a big factor. Yeah, and, and their offense is... Um, like we call it good, but it's legitimately up. Like I, I don't think they're ranked in the AP poll, right? But um, their offense is legitimately like uh, probably a top twenty. What's their Ken, What's their Ken Palm offensive efficiency? You got the numbers in front of you, don't you? Here, let's see. So they got the tenth ranked offense in in the country, which is like we we call them good, but they're they're that's, better than good. That's on that. great. And, that's and, great. Um, you know, you look at Nebraska. Nebraska's obviously frustrated. Good offensive teams, uh, probably. I, I think I would bunch Creighton in there, even though Creighton clearly has internal issues that um, Iowa probably can't speak for. But and Purdue too. Yeah, no doubt. And even though Purdue's offense is like, you just have the best first option in the country, right? And just let them rock. But um, and well, no, I'll give some credit to Fletcher Lawyer and, and Braden Smith. They got good guys uh, away from the ball and who can you know control the offense. But um, Iowa's just it's different, man. Um, this is a legitimately um, potent offense. They're an NCAA tournament team. There's yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And and Nebraska, as much as they can frustrate teams, um, I'd say they're well above average defensively. But when you get against, like Purdue was a great showing, right? But when you get against, you know, the better teams in the country, how consistently can you be uh, at maybe a top 30 top 40 defense instead of just well above average. I'd be surprised if this game isn't close tonight. One way or the other, I think it's it's a two or three possession game. Um, Iowa's a three-point favorite. We'll see how the Huskers uh, perform as an underdog. All right, transitioning to uh, 60 miles up uh, up Interstate 80 to the to the Creighton Blue Jays. A couple really important wins to get back on track with Ryan Kalkbrenner uh, back in the fold. The Jays uh, wait a couple more days before hosting Seton Hall. Joel what are your primary takeaways from from two relatively important Creighton wins here in the past week at home? Yeah, well, from the first game, I I thought you could see the impact of Kalkbrenner immediately. Um, Even if he's not scoring, which I believe he went eight for nine that game, so he was scoring. Um, But even when he's not, um, and I saw there was a stark difference. Like, as good as Fred King's been, um, people pointed during that stretch and said, oh, they don't need Kalkbrenner. Look at the numbers King's putting up and you know, salute to Fred because he's young and he's killing it, and um, they really needed him to spot those minutes. Um, but it goes beyond the numbers, right? Like you look at impact. Um, like it's gonna sound nerdy, but screening and uh, roll gravity and stuff that doesn't show in the box score, but literally controls your offense. And so um, I saw immediately when Cockburn came back, like the offense was just. Now, barring the first 10 minutes, the offense was just much cleaner. And I think part of that was, um, you know, you see a step up from Shireman who got punked in that Marquette game. And, you know, he's turned turned the, the tables, I think, in terms of aggression. Um, other guys just seemed to operate smoother when Cockburner's on the floor. I thought that was my, my main segue from the first game. And then last game, he didn't um, score a ton. But you still saw those impacts. Uh, obviously, I don't know how many – people would have predicted a, a Trey Alexander 30 ball. I thought that was really impressive. Yeah, and, and Trey is, you know, he. I was probably harder on Trey the first 10 games of the season than, than most people were, but I thought he really struggled there for, for several weeks. Uh, and if they can get him back on track, I think that might be the biggest 
the biggest source of encouragement. So, uh, you know, Joel, the other thing is Creighton historically is really, really good at home. I mean, just because of the crowd and the environment and, you know, the ability to knock down three-point shots, which create these kind of big momentum avalanches, they are traditionally an extremely good home team. When you don't play a stretch of home games for a long time, uh, and, you know, the Nebraska game obviously was an exception to that, and they didn't play well. But uh, yeah. but but if they can get back, you know, into being a – if they can win nine out of ten Big, ten, Big East games at home, uh, which I think they can – you know that that gives you a nice solid base to go fourteen and six in the league. You know, and I think Creighton can do that. Um, it's they got to they've got to fall back on the home on the home crowd, which which traditionally has been really good for Creighton. And I think you know this this three game stretch is a nice a nice opportunity to sort of reestablish that part too. Yeah, and it came at the right time because, like you mentioned. Um, that was a long time to be away from home, and it's not just being away from home. You're playing the degree of teams you're playing is is unreal. I mean, I don't know how many programs would actually sign up for that, um, but Mac did, Creighton did, and um, they had some takeaways that they might have been encouraged with. But for the most part, they probably regret doing it now. Um, but you can't take that back, right? So um, you're probably lucky that you know Butler, DePaul of all teams, and then. Uh, Seton Hall um, are the three teams you're playing in a row in this homestand. Now I won't, I won't uh, write off Seton Hall. I, I think uh, they've had some frustration in this first year under, under uh, you know a new head coach. But um, you, you can't like you. The, this thing with Seton Hall, they haven't, they don't have, like they can't score. Like I look at their class they brought in and. The guys that retain and the transfers and um, you know I liked I was pretty high on them entering the season because I'm looking at a bunch of you know similar size lengthy switchy defenders um, who I thought could be really gritty and um, for the most part they've looked the part right but they can't score a lick like it's it's pretty embarrassing to watch so I I, I won't fault Shaheen for that but um, there's something that has to happen for for the direction of change. I don't know if it happens this year. Um, maybe as soon as next year. I don't know. But I think it's a. I don't want to write them off. But it's a it's a good game for Creighton to be playing considering the the past few weeks. Yep. And the, and as you alluded to, the schedule ramps up after that. Uh, let's let's talk about maybe the the most interesting story of the week with Creighton, and that is this absolutely jaw-dropping television number <laughs> that came out of the DePaul Christmas game. I will admit, Joel. I and I'm still sort of skeptical, um, you know, about the idea of bringing in your fan base on Christmas Day and you know all the arena workers and all that stuff uh, for a game against you know the, that isn't gonna make a big difference in the, in the end of end of the season. But uh, but man, that TV number, uh, the fact that it was the highest highest rated college basketball game on on Fox Sports ever. Um, the fact that it was uh, it it beat every NBA game on Christmas Day except one, right? Uh, just a just a stunning number. Three million people watch Creighton DePaul on Christmas Day, and and it validated you know the belief that that it was it could be a big promotional opportunity for Creighton. Give us a little bit of background into that decision, and also uh, maybe maybe the re- response to it. Yeah, so I'll play devil's advocate here and debunk <laughs> some of the arguments. Because there were some really 
there were some people up in arms about this game being had, and uh, I was reading some of the comments under my my story, which was just um, obviously, objectively speaking, like I I think it's interesting the direction Marcus Blossom is taking this program in. Um, he really wants to make this program a heavy hitter, a national powerhouse, and he feels to do that, you leap at the opportunity, which back in May when you know all the teams had this on the table and Big Fox came to the league, um, there weren't a ton of hands being raised. Like nobody there. I mean, this is college. This is in the NBA, right? So who's raising their hand at a Christmas game? Like nobody wants to play on Christmas, but Marcus Blossom did, and um, he saw the vision and. He thought, you know, playing on Big Fox, which they're already playing on Big Fox a few other times, but playing as much as possible and on a day is right at, right after an NFL game. Yep, uh, would would benefit the program. And I mean, you saw the numbers. I mean, shit, like, <laughs> like these are. I was I was probably as shocked as you were. Um, and it's hard to argue with the decision now. Like I thought it was a, it was the right decision beforehand like i thought um for what he wants to do with the program like it made all the sense in the world um i think the thing that made the least sense was DePaul. but um, see i think you could have justified it with uconn or villanova or xavier or marquette but then again that that wasn't up to him and um from from my understanding like um DePaul wanted to you know enhance their brand so they leaped at the opportunity and there might have been another school that, that wanted to, but it just didn't. It fell apart. And so um, DePaul was certainly not like, I don't think Marcus Blossom went into it like, yeah, I want to. Let's do it. DePaul, yeah, DePaul down of the year. No, it didn't work out that way. But DePaul was one of the willing teams who was like, we want to up our brand too. Now DePaul is probably a, a far cry from, from changing their brand. I mean, we already chat on them last week or whatever right. podcast it was. But um they were like-minded in the sense that they wanted those same eyes. And, frankly, they, they got a lot of them, man. Yeah, it was, um, like I said, it, it was, it, it dropped my job pretty good yesterday when those, when those numbers came out. I still think there's, you know, there's an argument to be made that, um, and regardless of whether you're a Jesuit university or not, I think there's an argument to be made that when you host a big event like that on Christmas Day, you know, you're, you're pulling a lot of people away from from their families. The other the other side of that is, man, Christmas break is a long time. People get sick of their families. Uh, they can carve out three hours, you know, to go to go to work or to go to a basketball game. Uh, I, I think to your point, the the numbers probably at the end of the day justify the decision and and silence some of the skeptics like me who who didn't think it was a great idea based on the opponent. Uh, now the interesting part, Joel, is. Does it become a tradition at Creighton? Is it something that they come back to and say, hey, we want to do that every year. We want to host. I, I don't think you'd probably want to sign up for a road game on Christmas. You might disagree with me on that. I don't think you would. Uh, but, but, man, if you could, if you could be the, the Big East program that hosts a Christmas Day game every year, uh, specifically in a time slot, you know, that's attractive, you're not always going to get right after an NFL game probably. Right. But... Um, but I think if you could do that every year and sort of sell it and make it a highlight of the schedule, that might be something that Creighton wants to do every year. Yeah. Okay. So before I answer this, um, I will say, like, the people whose argument was, oh, the, the workers, the poor workers in the stadium, like, <laughs> like uh, this, that game doesn't happen without 
a, a working staff inside the arena. Like, that was the last box they had to check off. Like, could right. they get people to work that day who were willing, not being forced, but willing to work that day? That's the only reason the game happened was that that was the last box to check off. So the people were like, oh, you forced those workers to go to work. How could you on Christmas? How could you do that? It, it, it just didn't happen like that, man. Yeah. Uh, but well, and again, like my point – there's a lot of family time at Christmas. Uh, yeah. I think some. I think some people are. I mean, it was a three thirty game. Like, yeah. you had your morning. To it's do not a. It's not a ten ten a.m. tip off. To your point. Uh, and go ahead. Yeah. I, I interrupted you. No, no worries. And so, um, I think it can be uh, a yearly thing. I don't know if they'll do it again next year. They might take a year off to. No, to, man. Once you establish it, you got to do it every year. I don't know. I, I, there's no telling. But I. I will say. I think the next time they do it. Uh, you won't be looking at it, DePaul. I think people around the league are seeing the numbers, and I think the Yukons and the Villanovas of the world are are coming calling pretty soon about that game. I think this little – I mean, we look at it now, and people were up in arms, um, the fans of this little Jesuit university in Omaha. But we look down the line, and this might cause a huge ripple effect. Like, we might be seeing the Big East host Christmas games for – a long time now like it, it's really a we're witnessing something that probably is going to be bigger than we thought it was and and you know for people who uh entered this season like looking at Creighton's roster and seeing the number nine ranking preseason and saying yeah we one of the powerhouses in the country we up there now and um we can go with the best of them like that doesn't happen if you don't act like the best of them. If you don't put yourself in those positions, the the best programs in the country, like K- Kentucky, these guys are playing the most nationally televised games. I shouldn't even mention Kentucky with the way they're playing. These guys are playing the most nationally televised games. I mean, they, they're the teams that people want to watch, and they're putting themselves in those positions. They got the resources. They got everything. A Christmas game is nothing to them. I mean, obviously – um, I don't remember last time Kentucky played on Christmas, probably not a thing, but um, I'm sure they would put themselves in a similar position because that is what those like-minded programs do. I mean, you can't say you want your school to be a top program and be mad that it's putting itself in a position to, to you know, draw the resources. I mean, that game, three million people watched that game. I'm sure a few of them were recruits um, and whoever else. I'm sure um, – some of the five stars they're looking at are looking at that game and saying, "Damn, they played on Christmas." No, you, you see when you when you see a platform that is unoccupied, you have to, you know, you have to have the 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 guts, I guess, to to step up and say, "Yeah, we'll do it." Um, so for that, for that, I give I give Creighton credit. I give Marcus Blossom credit. Um, it does make me wonder if if maybe this is bigger than just a Big East game, you know? Can this be a... What if you played Nebraska on Christmas? What if you played... Yeah. You know, what if you played Gonzaga or Missouri like Missouri yeah, I, or Wisconsin? Or, Nebraska you know, wouldn't happen, but I do like the, the, the Gonzagas and whatever the world. Yeah, what if you can make it a Creighton, you know, a Creighton tradition that, that goes beyond the Big East Conference? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure Creighton would have the same team to make a Gonzaga game interesting next year. But I will say, I think this game benefited them in terms of building that team that could be competitive with Gonzaga. I mean, I, like I said, like recruits are watching. I'm sure this is a, a big deal for them too. Yeah. So. The, and, and again, 
Are you going to get many Big East teams that want to go on the road on Christmas Day? You know, knowing that you're leaving on Christmas Eve, uh, to you're spending Christmas Eve night in Omaha, Nebraska. Sure. You know, does Xavier want to do that? Does Villanova want to do that? Probably not. That's why I think maybe you have to open it up nationally. Uh, and just, you know, in the same way that the Detroit Lions host a, a Thanksgiving game every year, you know, <laughs> Hey, Creighton's going to be our Creighton's going to be the the anchor for Fox College basketball on Christmas Day. You know, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a Big East team. Um, maybe you maybe you look at the preseason top twenty five every year and you say, uh, who who might want to do this? Um, knowing that you're going to get a, a big audience, three, but three teams in your head. Who who are you going with next year? Just just not even knowing who they have, just knowing their names in in the programs. As with Creighton as a host. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Gonzaga would be really interesting because Gonzaga has a national following. I don't think Gonzaga would probably do it. Um, you know, hey, if Creighton's good next year, you never know. It's true, and good. You know, Gonzaga went to Birmingham, Alabama to play. You know, Alabama. Um, so you don't rule it out. But I, I think uh, I think somebody from a national scope would be would be really interesting. Um, you know. You're not going to get Duke or Carolina, but maybe you could get, um, you know, maybe you could get a a Michigan or somebody like that to come into Creighton. Sure. Um, you know, I think I think maybe Texas comes up. You know, for a, Texas, for a return trip. Want, you know, it's, so again, I think there are logistical challenges. I think DePaul signed up for it in part because DePaul doesn't get a lot of national TV games. Uh, but I think it is certainly something worth exploring. I think now that you've done it once, the Creighton fan base is more likely to accept it as a yearly thing. Sure. But, I, but I would want to stay at home, Joel. Well, I, don't, where, where, I don't think I would want to be you traveling Mizzou, to... Uh, you, where, where, where did the Mizzou name come from? Well, you know, I just... It's a it's a Midwestern program that's not an elite school, uh, you know. Not no knock to you as a grad, but hey, I'm not MIZ. <laughs> I'm not one of those. But I think they would be in good position to play a game. I like think that, Marquette sure. would be an interesting fit, um, you know, because I think people view those two schools as sort of sister schools and rivals. But it's uh, it's certainly worth exploring. I think there was enough positive feedback from it it obviously helps that Creighton won the game Joel you know if Creighton loses I think people have a different experience yeah uh but but I think uh if you could find a way to make it a an annual tradition that's something they should explore sure let's talk uh Creighton women uh UConn came in last night boy what a what an event when you see the Connecticut women you know playing in in Omaha Nebraska that was uh, that's a highlight of the schedule. It, it didn't necessarily go as the Jays planned. Describe what you saw. Yeah, and one, let me just tell you, these these women are celebrities, dog. Like, um, they had the whole gym lined up uh, to 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 get autographs from players who weren't even playing. And this isn't even like a signature UConn team, right? Yeah, like I mean, Paige is not playing. Az's uh, still waiting to be reevaluated. I think she gets reevaluated today on her injury. Um, and man, like the fans were, and there was like a good chunk of people with like UConn gear on, like they're jerseys, traveling, like yeah. they're legitimate celebrities. It was crazy to to see that thing unfold. But yeah, um, the the Huskies were were shorthanded. Uh, let's say, I mean, they've had a weird year in terms of the injury bug, and they were probably especially shorthanded yesterday. And they only went six deep, really, maybe seven through the stretch of the game, but they really only stuck to six. And they just completely thumped Creighton. Like, um, 
you know, Creighton and and Jim Flannery, man. I, I'm I'm a big fan of Flan as a quote, man. Like he <laughs> he's such a great quote, dog. And um, just never changed, Flan. I'll say that. But um, you know, after the game, because they went three for twenty eight from three, which is not a winning recipe. But Six, sixteen points in the first half. Yeah, but um, that was hardly like their biggest issue. I think they've. They've knowingly, like, they have acknowledged their struggles with defending strong post presences. And um, UConn had two. Like, of all the players they had playing, they had two really good post presences. Um, Aaliyah Edwards, I think she was the first player with 20 and 20 since Maya Moore, I think they said, in the in the post game, which is obviously, I mean, you want to be in that tensions with a player like that. And then uh, Dorka Juhas, she, uh, I mean, what I thought with Creighton, and I brought this up to Flan, like they could only do so much with the post presences, right? But I thought they, the way they showed help and flash doubles and whatever early on in the first half, even though they maybe gave up some layups to some actions they'd walk through, like you mentioned, I thought the help that they showed and the doubles they flashed were encouraging. Like they legitimately forced some turnovers and were doing some good things on that end and. They kept the game within reason to where people were like, oh, this game could change at any moment if they knock down threes, um, which never happened. They never did. But but I think it was less because they knocked down, never knocked down threes and more because, like, they just they started dominating in the post and they started going away from, like, you saw um, UConn really hunting mismatches and, like, quickly. Like, they flipped it from post to post or, like, um, as soon as the ball passes half court, they throwing it up to Juhas and um, she has – she has one person guarding her. Like, um, that's the stuff that, that um, doesn't win you a game. And then um, even when they're smoking bunnies, like, there's rebound after rebound after rebound. And at that point, it's like um, there has to be defensive adjustments that I think Flan walked through but just didn't happen uh, or didn't go the way he wanted to. So they were they probably weren't a match to begin with, even with the shorthanded yeah. Huskies. You know, Creighton played – we talked about the Creighton men's schedule and how aggressive it was. The Creighton women's schedule was was just absolutely a gauntlet. Yeah, you know, absolutely. especially in December and and really the whole the whole first two months of the season. Uh, they've lost three in a row: Arkansas, Stanford, Connecticut. They're they're probably never going to play a schedule this rigorous again. Uh, in some ways, I think it's beneficial to sort of catch your breath before you go into conference season and say, okay, you know, the worst is behind us. Uh, but in in other ways, you know, that was a little bit of a of a gut punch, considering where the program was at the end of last season and the high hopes for this season and how well they started uh, to sort of re reevaluate what they can be. Um, you know, this is a team that I mean they they throttled Nebraska. I mean they yeah. they uh, they started the season so well. Uh, it's it's disappointing. It's yeah. disappointing what happened last night, and, and to a lesser degree, what happened against Stanford too. So, I think the Creighton women have to have to sort of collect themselves uh, before they before they hit stride in Big East play again. Yeah, and it was a bit of a reality reality check. I think like I think before I remember before the season, Flam was talking about that he was on the phone with with Don Staley, and they were about to get that game happening, which I can't imagine with the schedule they already have. I don't know if that would have took another game's place. Probably, yeah. But I, I, I can't imagine because they're right up there too. Uh, and so um, I, I think it's disappointing because 
um, like the day before the game, they'd just been talking about, you know, uh, I mean, they wouldn't have admitted it, but this shorthanded UConn team was probably the best chance they've had in a long time to beat UConn. And um, by the end of the press conference, we were talking about, you know, um, we want to prove that um, that we're, you know, not a full notch above UConn and um, that UConn's not a full uh, notch above the league or more. And, I mean, Creighton's supposed to be like the second or third best team, probably the second best team in this league. And um, they absolutely look like a full notch below a shorthanded UConn team, which is not encouraging, I think, for the remainder of the league. But, you know, it just goes to show you, like, UConn is – it's a reality check, man. Like, UConn – like, you, you mentioned Creighton throttled Nebraska. And Creighton's been so good against teams that are, like, right on that threshold of being maybe, like, elite, but, like, are still good, like, ranked teams but that are good. But when you get to those really, truly elite – UConn, South Carolina, uh, yep, Stanford, that. yep. It's just it's, it's no comp, especially with the way Creighton's team is built. Like they're already, it's already an uphill battle for them. So um, it just becomes increasingly hard, and that's when you kind of get hit with a reality check. I think. Yeah. Uh, let's ra- let's wrap up with this. Luka Doncic went sixty twenty and ten. Uh, Nikola Jokic is going, you know, 40-20-10 on a semi-regular basis, 40-15-15. Joel, who is the best night-to-night watch in the NBA right now? As a team or a player? As a player. You have to tune in. Jesus Christ. Who's who's the guy that you you see on the schedule, the national TV schedule, and you say, I got to sit down and watch that? We can't do this. This is the wrong year to do this because I, 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 my boy Mark Chandler was on Twitter the other day saying that this is probably the most interesting MVP race we've had in a while because there are like... Don't we always say that in December? No, 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 no. But there are legitimately seven guys who like could go... Like I think... I don't know if this was yesterday. We didn't before. even talk about Durant yet. Yeah, so... Right. And, and KD spazzing. And, and you know... Zion, I think, is in the mix. No, Zion is literally not six, as an MVP six candidate. Seventh place in the MVP. I mean, the Pelicans are legitimately good. Yeah, but it's not because of him. And he just what? He just had forty the other night. Yeah, he's, he he hasn't he's, done it long enough to be an MVP candidate. Well, he's their best player, and um, they're they're pretty damn good. So I think he's up there. Um, Donovan Mitchell was in the running there for a while because the Cavs are good. And, Tatum, and he's good. So I would probably say. Tatum. You put Tatum. The guy for me. Tatum's the guy that you you tune in to watch the most. Not me personally when he's on, but I think is the guy that most people should be. Okay. You know, you know who's an outsider in this argument? Maybe Uh, when John Morant jumps into the air. He's not an outsider, at, man. At it, yeah, but he's an outsider. John Moran has a whole hive. I'm not part of it. I'll be, I'll be oh, honest. I know. He, he, but he's not an MVP candidate. Uh, but when he, he's been in discussions. When he leaves the floor. You just you think you think he's gonna stop rising and he goes another twelve inches in the air like yeah. the, the dunk that he almost had the other night against Golden State uh, that might have been the dunk of the year in the NBA and he he missked it but my gosh well, Aaron Gordon he's either having dunk of the year well Jaws was gonna be better he either land he's either gonna land on his head Joel someday um, because he's so high in the air and somebody undercuts him uh, or he's or he's gonna have the greatest basketball highlight of all time I mean there's there's only two, two potential. That's a risk I take. But, <laughs> but you know, uh, 
John Morant, man. The the thing with them, they're they're not uh, they're not the best team right now. And he was just the other day saying, "Oh, we're fine in the West," and like they're literally not fine in the I West love it. anymore. I love it. So, um, but yeah, he's up there, and he's one of the I think few guys. Like, uh, there's maybe a handful of guys, probably less, of guys in the NBA with as many leapers as there are. He's probably one of a handful of guys who could just jump in the air and figure things out afterward. Like he's just that type of leaper. Isn't it crazy how you can put a league? of the best athletes in the world. And this is true in the NFL with certain guys too. Like Tyreek Hill, for instance, right? Like he's Tyreek Hill is going against the fastest men in professional sports uh, in, a, in a defensive backfield, and he still makes them look slow, right? Giannis is going against some of the <laughs> biggest men on earth, and he makes them look small. And he punks like, them. Jaw is going against some of the best athletes on earth, and he he's you know noticeably more athletic than everybody yeah. else on the court. And There's just some of these guys that are like just 15% better than everybody else. Yeah, and circling back to your point, I think, and the league is in a good place right now. Um, circling back to the first question you asked, Giannis is always going to be the guy for me I'm tuning into because I'm, I'm part of the Giannis Hive, I think, and um, he's still the best player in the world to me. KD is a guy I've been tuning into a lot more because he's probably playing the best basketball of his career, like really quietly. Like they're on like a 10-game winning streak. Um, he's easily thrust himself into MVP conversations and people probably can't get over all the Kyrie stuff and all the turmoil they had in the beginning of the year. I mean, the Nets, like you, you probably think of anything but basketball when you think of them at this point, but you should be thinking about basketball because they're killing it and KD's playing some of the best basketball of his career. So that's another guy I turn into and then Tatum. Obviously, I think, I think he's the MVP right now. I mean, you could, people are saying Jokic for a third MVP and I, I don't want to see that shit, man. I mean, I love Jokic, but come on, dog. It, even as good as he's been, the the Celtics are the best team in basketball, and Jason Tatum has been one of the best players in basketball. And um, it's hard to not think that if they continue this way, that, that he isn't the MVP. Yeah. We won't talk NBA every week, but it seemed appropriate this week with the uh, with the surge of Christmas games and uh, all the fun stuff in the NBA. Uh, looking forward to coming back next week. Creighton will be against Seton Hall on the third, and Nebraska is going to have a couple between now and then, including this big Iowa game. Uh, Fred Hoiberg's got a, you know, he's got to start proving that he's the guy. Joel, he had he had a nice little breakthrough there uh, against Creighton in Omaha, but but they got to show it on a consistent basis against teams like Iowa. Uh, he's going to get some opportunities. If or when he gets fired, I'm going to dread those conversations of us going through the the coaching search and. I, 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 I'm not looking forward to that. I feel like we've we've done that way too often in the last 20 years, Joel. Uh, it's just been too much of a topic. So, of so here's the hoping he gets another year, so that I could at least put off those conversations for a year. <laughs> uh, we'll see. They go Iowa, then at Michigan State. Uh, schedule lightens up a little bit after that. So, so we'll see. Huskers gotta gotta make some progress. Until then, uh, thanks for listening to the Half Court Press podcast. He's Joel. I'm Dirk. We'll see you next time.